Hey friends, we're so glad that you've chosen to tune into this podcast from Revival Fires today. We pray that this message brings you closer to Jesus. We'd love to host you at our regular Sunday morning meetings, 10.30 a.m. in Dudley. Also check out our website for our upcoming events. We look forward to welcoming you to our next event. All right, here we go. Here is the message. I wanted to bring you a visual aid on this Pentecost Sunday. I've just been uh, so stirred, um, so stirred at the fact that this is the celebration of when the Holy Spirit was poured out. But of course, um, it was also a celebration in the Old Testament where the giving of the law was poured out. And... um, just as I take this bread out of the wrapper, as I was preparing this week, I saw in the spirit a bakery. Now, with a name like mine, Baker, that ought not to be so surprising, but I saw in the spirit a bakery. These aren't two stones. We'll get to that in a minute. They are two delicious loaves of bread that I bought from Tesco about an hour or two ago. They are fresh. And I saw a bakery with more shelves than I could count, stocked full of bread, fresh bread, every sort of bread, delicious bread. Are you hungry? It was just stocked full of bread, uh, small and large, brown, white, every sort of grain, There was bread, fresh bread. And Jesus said to me, he reminded me of that verse, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Friends, you will never grow hungry. He who believes in me will never go thirsty. So come and believe. You'll never hunger. You'll never thirst. He said, I'm your provision I'm exactly what you need. I am your sufficiency. You cannot be allergic to me. Take me in. Imbibe me. Taste of me. I'm the grain of wheat, Jesus said to me, that fell into the ground and died so that I could bear much fruit. And you are the fruit. You are the harvest. You are the fruit that lasts, the fruit that endures. And as of Pentecost of old, as we'll see as I share this message with you, in Leviticus 23, two loaves with yeast were presented as a grain offering to the Lord. This is not only something for today that I saw in the Spirit, but this is like um, a picture of what the tribe, the um, people of Israel would present at the celebration of Pentecost, one of those three great feasts, biblical feasts that the Lord commanded. And then I saw the actual word bread above the loaves. And now alongside it, I saw the word breath. And I saw the winds of heaven. I saw, it was like, it started as a gentle wind. 
And then I could see like your hair and your clothes were starting to blow in this breeze. The shrubs and the trees were starting to blow. And then the Lord said, I am breathing upon you again this day of Pentecost. Just like I did 2,000 years ago, when my precious Holy Spirit sounded just like, not a gentle wind, but a rushing, a violent wind, and was coming down, blowing upon my people, and filling them with my Spirit, with fire, with tongues, with boldness. This wind was like a powerful, supernatural, tempestuous commotion of air. And the sound of my spirit is blowing upon you and filling your life with all his fullness. This is not a small, little, oh, it's blown a piece of paper over wind. This is a strong gust, a blast. It's like a storm. And the Holy Spirit sounds like a wind. He is a wind that's coming to fill your life. I'm coming to you as both the living bread to take and eat, to taste and eat, and the breath of heaven to fill you to fullness and to live inside of you. I am both the bread and the breath. This is the time for fullness of both the Word and the Spirit. Hallelujah. The bread and the breath, the ruach, the pneuma of God is falling afresh upon us. And I was reminded of the prophecy that Smith Wigglesworth gave in the 1940s, just before he went to be with the Lord. And this is no coincidence. Trevor today has already this morning preached three times, same message. The church there in Johannesburg, where he is, uh, Peter DeFin's church, is so big, they have to have three services to get everybody in the building. And he's been preaching on Pentecost Sunday, and and Peter DeFin and their family, you know Lily DeFin, Peter's mum, are descendants of Smith Wigglesworth. And the Lord brought to me, to mind, this prophecy of Smith Wigglesworth that he gave. And he said, the last great revivals will be a marriage of the Word and the Spirit. Um, He said, the Word will be revived There will be movements, there will be outpourings of revival. There'll be a healing revival, and we saw that in the mid-20th century, where there were healing evangelists. There'll be a faith revival, and we saw that with the faith movement, the word of faith, and the restoration of believing all that God says. He said about the new church movement, friends, at the end of the 20th century, there were so many new churches, charismatic churches, renewed churches from old denominations. Then he talked about the great harvest, the salvation of body, soul, and spirit, 
hospitals would be empty and the medical profession would be amazed that what God is doing. Come on, applaud him. We want to see the fulfillment of that word. And the Lord said to me this week, this is a time for a new fullness of the word, the bread, and the spirit, the breath. I found these bellows under, my, under our barbecue. So this morning at seven o'clock, I was scrubbing them up because I can imagine what might happen at the end of the meeting today when we go through a wind a, a wind tunnel it will be a wind tunnel when we go through a word and spirit tunnel when we go through a bread and breath tunnel so I'm just inviting you get ready because we are going to be partaking afresh of receiving that fullness of the Holy Spirit friends we need fullness oh don't we need fullness we need fullness so that there is no part empty. You might be saying to me, oh Sharon, I'm pretty full, you know, I'm, I've known the Lord a long time and I read my Bible and I pray and I'm part of a life group and I do everything that I know there is to do. I've been trained in the prophetic ministry, you know, I'm, I'm getting filled up. Listen, we all need to be more full. We all need to be filled again. You know that the word baptized, being baptized in the spirit, is that first filling. Anna was talking about it last night. She described a jar of pickles. As they are soaked in that vinegar solution, they are transformed from what they were into what they're going to be. I just have to tell you, friends, have you ever tasted marinated aubergine? Oh, my word. It puts pickles on the you know, at the bottom of the queue, marinated aubergine. You don't need to go to Spain or Italy for it, where they do it in abundance, but they have been marinated in some oils and some vinegar, and they just take... They're probably in heaven. They really are delicious. <laughs> but uh, this week, I had to soak something because there was a stain on it. I didn't just dab it. I didn't just give it a bit of attention. I didn't just give it a bit of this chemical that I needed to get the stain off. What did I do? I plunged it in a bowl of something or other, stain remover. Um, watered down it was, obviously. But I plunged it so that it could soak, so that all the impurities, all the stains could be removed. It wasn't going to happen with a little dab. And friends, let me just tell you, when you were baptized in the Holy Spirit, you were submerged, you were saturated, you were soaked, you were marinated, you, you went under, you went deep. And as Anna said last night, you don't have to come out. You can stay soaking. All the cleansing you need is there. All the filling you need is there. All the fullness that you need is there. And you will change. Here's another analogy. Have you ever washed a white load in the machine and put in something pink? Come on. You have. Whoever uses a washing machine. We did it at least once. Hopefully not more than once. That's what happens 
when we are filled, influenced, taken over, all that's in the Holy Spirit is going to become what you are soaked in, what you are drenched in. He will overflow you. He will pour himself out over you. You see, on the day of Pentecost, um, Jesus was telling the disciples in Acts 1.5, wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You see, there was an invisible work of the Spirit which on the day of Pentecost had visible effects. You see, the word, Jesus, the bread of life, is very visible. And in a minute, we'll look at how that was worked out in the Old Testament. Very straightforward to follow a set of laws, to see the bread, to hear the word, and think, yes, there are commandments to be followed. But the Spirit is invisible, almost, uh, uh, not almost, unseen. We don't know where the Spirit blows. We can't see where the wind comes from. We don't know where the wind goes. But we know when the wind is blowing. And we invite you more, invisible, unseen Holy Spirit, to so overtake us, to so fill those places of doubt which are in us because we depend so much on what we can see rather than what we can't see. Our faith is easy if it can see something. But open the eyes of our spirit today afresh, Lord, that we might see in the unseen realm. We might see the movement, the working of your Holy Spirit. And of course, on the day of Pentecost, this invisible Holy Spirit, this invisible power the, the apostles experienced, and it may, had a visible effect. They looked drunk, they looked intoxicated, and that's what happened all that time ago on the day of Pentecost. Acts 1 verse 8, that famous verse we know so well. Jesus said to his disciples just before he was ascended, before he ascended, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Samaria and to the end of the earth. He wanted to leave the Holy Spirit with them so that they could tell people about Jesus, so they could tell people what they've seen and what they've heard. So this invisible indwelling spirit would give them boldness, would give them power, dynamite, in order to open their mouths, in order to speak the stories about their precious Lord Jesus. This Holy Spirit is compared to water, to wine, to oil, to a dove, to fire, to wind. Let me just tell you, when I bought this bread this morning, I just wanted a plain bloomer, because I like them. And all they'd got was olive bread. 
I'm thinking, Lord, did you go before me? Because even, <laughs> even to Tesco, even in the illustration of the bread this morning, the living bread, it's enriched with the Holy Spirit. And I want you this morning to be not only filled with the word, but I want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me read to you this passage, which is our Pentecost reading. And I'm reading from a different version right now because I like it. Um, When the day of Pentecost had fully come. Friends, that's today. It's this weekend. Today, Pentecost has fully come. They were all with one accord in one place, just like we are today. And suddenly, God bring the suddenly, there came a sound. We've heard a sound. We've heard the shofar this morning. We've heard the sound of heaven. I wanted that sound of the wind to come. The sound as of a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat on each of them. Just remember the word each and every and all. This is so important for us this morning. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together. And they were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Father, I pray for an outpouring of the Spirit, even as I'm sharing this morning, this gift, this precious gift that the Father has given. One of the verses that uh, really spoke to me as I was preparing this week for you, was that, yeah, the Holy Spirit is the gift of the Father. How precious is that? That Father God gives the gift of the Holy Spirit. Who loves receiving a gift? I don't think anybody likes not to receive a gift. But there can be sometimes in our life where we just can't receive something, where it's like, I don't, you can't give that to me. You know, that's, that seems too extravagant. And somebody walks in with flowers, are those for me? Somebody walks in with a pen or a watch and, and you think, is that really for me? And something in you feels too little to receive it. Or something in you feels too stubborn to receive it. Well, I've already got one of those. I don't don't need another one of those. Or something in you feels too big to receive it. What on earth do I need something else for? Friends, the Father himself, our Heavenly Father, is gifting you afresh this morning with precious Holy Spirit. Would you receive him? Receive him afresh If not for the first time, receive him again so that there will be no empty place in your life. But you will live a life of fullness so that there'll be no empty, inferior place in your thinking. I'm not good enough. Um, How can I receive? What do I need to do to receive him more? What do I need to do to be filled 
more. No, he's a gift. He's a precious Holy Spirit gift. He's not earned. He's not deserved. He's not worked for. Yes, he's given to those who obey him. But wouldn't you want to obey him? Wouldn't you want to respond to him? And then the other thing about the giving of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, and this just undid me, friends. Jesus is having these amazing um, conversations with his disciples in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, where he tells them that he's going to be leaving them, that he's going to be departing from them. But he teaches them about the Holy Spirit who's going to lead them into all truth. And he says, I don't want to leave you like orphans. Imagine they'd been with Jesus for coming up to three years at this point. And Jesus' heart of compassion is for his disciples. He knows what they're like. they're like. They're just like us friends. There's things they get wrong. There's things they say they shouldn't say. There's places they go that they think, I needn't go there again. There's, there's things that, uh, relationship problems and you know, there's, there's juggling of position and I want to be first and move out the way and, and all of this. You know, can I sit by you when you get to heaven, Jesus? Somebody's mother asks, I ask you. You know, can my twin sons, John, John the beloved, you know, he's the one that his mom said, can't you give him a seat right on the top table? Jesus said, it's not mine to give, it's the heavenly father's to give. Jesus' heart of compassion is training these ordinary people. That's why the Holy Spirit, he gave the Holy Spirit for people like me and you. This isn't for super spiritual people or, or for people that just don't know anything. This is for everybody, everybody, all of us. So his heart of compassion goes out to his disciples and he says, I can't leave you after three years. You just won't make it. Listen, I've been a Christian since I was like knee-high to a grasshopper. And I cannot live without his presence. As much as I know, as much as I've experienced, I cannot live without the precious Holy Spirit. Sometimes I struggle because Jesus I know somehow. The Father I know, the Word I love, all these I seem to get. But the Holy Spirit, I'm still working on his invisibility. Let me, let me just be honest with you. But I love him and I need him. And I want him more and more and more in my life. And I'm talking to you about fullness because I want fullness, friends. I want fullness. I want to be full in every area. I don't want to be insufficient in any area. I don't want to be lacking. I want to be full and filled with fullness. So Jesus' heart for the disciples, he understood. I can't leave them like orphans, he said. I can't leave them like orphans. What I'm going to do, I'm going to ask my father. I've got that sort of relationship with my father, Jesus said, that if I ask him, he won't refuse me. If, if I ask him, he'll give you the Holy Spirit. It won't just be a dab anymore. It won't just be a moment anymore. It won't just be a, an anointing for a specific task and then he's lifted. 
He's gonna, he's been with you and now he's going to be in you. He's going to be inside of you. Just like at the end in our ministry call this morning, we're going to be eating some of the olive bread. We're going to be receiving, I don't know how, of the wind of the spirit. He was with you. Now he's going to be in you. Jesus says, I'll ask my father. I'll ask my father. And he's still asking the father, would you send your spirit on the church at Revival Fires this morning? See, he's, he can ask the father anything. And he's giving that authority to us. If you love me, you will ask anything in my name. And I'm not going to withhold it from you, the Lord Jesus says. Because he didn't want the disciples ever to be alone. So he was sending the Holy Spirit. Do you have moments when you feel alone? I don't just mean lonely from people or from the absence of some exciting thing in your life, but I mean lonely when you're on your own in the presence of God and you feel a bit distant, you feel a bit away from him. Ask afresh for the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Jesus doesn't want you to be alone like an orphan like nobody that's yours, because the Holy Spirit is now possessing you, is now filling you, is now not only coming on you, but coming in you and staying. So if, it's, if that's what Jesus could say because of his relationship with the Father, it would appear to me that it's not what you know, but it's who you know that really matters. And the old covenant was actually full of what you knew. The old feast of Pentecost was full of law, of prescribed ways of doing things. And what would the disciples have known about Pentecost? Yeah, they'd have celebrated it. It's not just an Old Testament feast. Jesus celebrated the feasts. The apostles celebrated the feast. There was one time when Paul said, stay there because I want to come to you at Pentecost. So it was celebrated. They were celebrated in the New Testament also. But what did the apostles at this point know about the Old Covenant Pentecost? Well, if you want to at home, you can look up Leviticus 23 and Deuteronomy 16. But we've already heard some snippets of this. It was the Feast of Weeks in the Old Testament. It was the end of the wheat harvest. So a portion was brought from the harvest to the priests as an offering. It was 50 days after Passover. You know that Passover in the New Testament, the New Covenant, represents when Jesus went to the cross because in the old covenant it was when the Israelites were brought out of Egypt by miraculous power and um, 50 days after Passover first fruits were offered we've heard that in our offerings this morning two loaves were presented 
There was wave offerings, there was burnt offerings brought to the Levitical priests, there was grain, there was wine, there was animals, there was quite something going on. There was religious duties performed. That was the nature of Old Covenant. There was um, prescribed ways of coming into the presence of God at certain times with certain people. You couldn't do it yourself, you had to go through a high priest, and even... At certain times, there was uh, you could bring it to the high priest who was of the order of the, the priests who were of the order of Levi. That's one of the tribes of Israel. And then only once a year could the high priest go into the place behind the veil, the most holy place. And even then, he what, he brought offerings which would not cleanse thoroughly from sin. Do you know why? He had to do it every year. Now, repeated offerings in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, speaks to me that it was never enough. Why would you have to do this every year if it was done once for all? Not to mention, if the people of Israel were watching all these, this grain, this oil, this wheat, the animals, the great bonfire they would have on the altar as they sacrificed. Every time there was an offering, it was a reminder of their sin. Somehow, it, it didn't seem to cleanse the conscience. It was just, we've got to bring more offerings because we've got to appease this, we've got to appease the law so that um, our sin can be forgiven, but we've got to do it again. Next, sac- next sacrifice. We've got to do it again on the next Sabbath. We've got to do it again on the next year when the uh, high priest goes into the most holy place. It's a reminder of sin, not a reminder of forgiveness. So there was strength in the law. There was strength in the old covenant, but it, but it wasn't enough. It would never be properly fulfilled. The the Pentecost of the Old Covenant celebrated the time of the giving of the law in Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments, the principles for God's chosen people to live in community, written on stone tablets. Ryan said to me, are they the two stone tablets? I said, no, the bread's not that hard. But that's how, with the finger of God, the Ten Commandments were written and given to Moses, who received them on Mount Horeb. But what about the new covenant expression? How does this apply today? Well, we said there are laws that had to be fulfilled. God instigated those laws. God gave them to Moses. So what happened? Romans 7.12 tells us the law is good. The law is holy. The law is righteous. There was nothing wrong with the old covenant when the Lord gave it to Moses. But there was one serious flaw. We couldn't keep the law. It was impossible for human nature to keep the law. But Jesus... And Matthew 5 tells us, I came not to abolish the law, 
because it was good and holy and righteous. I came to fulfill the law because you couldn't do it yourself. Thank you, Jesus, that you stood in my place and all that should, I should have done, that I was expected to do, you took away that should. You took it away by coming, as we sang earlier, he came to a, a, a stable, a, a cradle of dirt or something like that, it said, and he took my place, he took your place, friends. Jesus fulfilled, fulfilled. He filled up every requirement of the old covenant. There was not one requirement outstanding. Everything that needed to be done in the old covenant was done by the blood of Jesus, was done by the life and death of Jesus, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension, and his soon coming. Jesus fulfilled the old covenant on our behalf. And today, on this new covenant Pentecost celebration, we celebrate 2,000 years ago when the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, was poured out and the church was birthed. Because Jesus had said, I will build my church. Let me just tell you, Something more of the meaning of covenant. We know something about covenant and wisdom and faith. At some point soon, we'll be entering into a covenant, a covenant of marriage. And what is a covenant, friends? Yes, it's a promise. Yes, it's a transaction. It's even a legal and a spiritual transaction. It's a binding agreement. It's a deal. It's ratified by a seal or a signature. It's a promise requiring certain conduct from both parties. And that's why we failed at the old covenant, because we couldn't fulfill our side. But this is what the covenant God makes with us is like. Alexander, a theologian I was reading, describes it like this. It's a relationship bond between two parties of totally unequal status. It's a relationship instigated by God, not because of greatness or goodness. It wasn't because Israel was a great nation. It's not because we are the best sort of people he could find. But it's because of God's love. It's because of God's choice. It's because he's elected you to be in a covenant relationship with him in the new covenant. So what's the new covenant like? It's not an outward obligation. It's not an observation of the law, but it's an inner obedience to Christ. It's not written on stone, but it's written on our hearts. It's no longer just for a nation. It's no longer just for Israel. It's for everyone. It's a covenant for all those who will call upon his name. All those who have chosen him and he has chosen you. 
We have been made a royal priesthood. You see, the law was weak and useless and it could make nothing perfect. It couldn't remove our sin. But Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. And he didn't even come from the tribe of Levi, where through tradition and command, the priests must come. But this is brand new. He was of the tribe of Judah, and he was our sacrifice. He went first. He opened up the new covenant. He took our place so that we could be partakers of this promise, of this agreement. We're the ones with unequal status until Jesus came and took our place and gave us what we don't deserve, mercy and grace. He was, his offering was holy. It was once and for all. He doesn't have to come and do this again. We don't have to get born again, again. Yes, we repent and ask for forgiveness, but we don't have to bring the sort of offerings that our Old Testament uh, counterparts had to bring because his offering was once for all time. And it's not only just occasionally, just on the day of Pentecost, but we have access, as it says in Hebrews 4, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We don't go for the old covenant where the stone tablets were written on with the finger of God. We don't go to Mount Horeb where it says in in Hebrews they were shaking with fear because of what was happening. But it tells us there we have come to Mount Zion to celebrate with joy and to celebrate with thanksgiving. Oh, hallelujah. Hebrews 10, 15, you can tell I've been just saturating myself with the book of Hebrews this week, as well as Acts chapter 2. It is just is so full of the Holy Spirit's work and how we have access to the presence of Jesus, to the presence of God, to the throne of grace, and to all that God has done for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10, 15. The Holy Spirit bears witness to us. For after saying... This is the covenant that I will make with them. This is what we're celebrating, friends. The instigation of the new covenant at Pentecost. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts. I will write them on their minds. And I will remember their sins and their deeds no more. Hallelujah. Where there is forgiveness of these There is no longer any need for offerings for sin. Jesus, you did it once and for all. You made the accusers drop their stones. There is no more accusation. There is no more condemnation. Whether it's from another, whether it's from your past and curse words that were brought over you, whether it's from the enemy playing tricks with your mind and filling you with doubt, 
instead of with faith. Wherever it's from, there is an end to the offering for sin because there is no more accusation, there is no more condemnation, there is no more guilt, there is no more shame. Psalm 32 says, he cleanses me from the guilt of my sin. It's not only the stain, it's not only the ink or the dirt that you got stained with, like those clothes I soaked, but the actual residue, the actual memory of it is washed away. He cleanses the guilt of your sin. Hebrews 10, 8 and 9, sacrifice, this is Jesus' word, sacrifices and offerings you did not desire. This is new covenant, friends. We don't have to do it anymore. We don't have to do this legalism, uh, this, this religion, this tradition, this ritual. He's done it all for us. And Jesus said, sacrifice and offerings you don't desire. What a change because he's done it all. Even though the law required them, because he said, remember these words? Here I am. I have come to do your will. Remember Anna's message yesterday? Here I am, Lord, send me. And all those um, points that she told us about presenting ourselves as a here I am to the Lord, Jesus himself. He says, here I am to his father. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. He doesn't abolish it. He supersedes it. We still need the word. Oh my word. We still need the word. But oh, do we need the spirit. We still need the, to read it. We still need to have that relationship with Jesus. But friends, go further in your relationship with the Holy Spirit. So how do we understand the law? How do we understand the covenants? Um, what about works and rituals? What are we still doing to please God or think we can appease him? Well, I can't preach very well this morning because I didn't pray long enough this week. And I think Anna and Ryan prayed more than me this week. Not to mention the life group leaders. You know, I did go on the Zoom at six o'clock. Reminder to pray. You know, I, I, so I've had my half an hour prayer. But how many minutes the rest of the week? Or did I, you know, how long did I sit at the piano worshipping? Or, you know, when I was ironing, did I remember to put Spotify on to, to play my favourite Charity Gale worship songs? You know, uh, Friends, I'm back in the law. I, I worship because I love my Savior. I read the word because it feeds me and I get hungry. I spend time in God's presence, not to count the minutes and write it on my calendar and tick off my to-do list, but because I need him. Because if I'm without him, I am nothing. I am empty. I need you, precious Holy Spirit. This is not a requirement of the Old Testament that I, I must get up and present this and this and do this and, and remember this and go through this tradition. No, this is because of relationship. 
This isn't anything to do with ritual. So does that mean we're not under any law anymore? Hoo, 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 we're not under any, more, any law anymore. Well, I have to tell you, we are under law. Oh no, Sharon, let me just forget all you said then. If you're going to tell me we're under law, we're under a different law. Because there is therefore now, Romans 8, 1, no condemnation, I've told you this, for those who are in, in, in Christ Jesus. Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Can I hear an amen? amen. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could never ever do. I could not do it. The law couldn't do it. None of Israel could do it. That's why they had to repeatedly have offering after offering after offering and go through rituals. The law weakened by the flesh could not do, but God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, like me, like you, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Friends, today, on this Pentecost day, I want to remind you that the Holy Spirit is being poured out on everyone. I will say it many times before I finish in a few minutes, but everyone is ready. Everyone is a target for the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4 tells us that when Christ ascended on high, he gave gifts to men, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And on the day of Pentecost, because you might think, well, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a teacher, I'm not an evangelist, I'm not a, I'm certainly not a prophet or a, an apostle. I'm thinking, Hold on a minute, that was one section that he was talking about. But in Acts chapter 2, was it only 2 or 3 or 5 or 6 or 12 or 120? No, it says they were, at this point, they were all filled. 120 of them were filled. All the apostles were filled. There wasn't anybody stuck on a seat saying, I haven't been filled yet. There wasn't somebody saying, I think I might have been filled, but I I don't know. I haven't spoken in tongues yet. They were all filled. They all had fire on their heads. They all spoke in tongues. It was for every single one of them. Not one was left out. And not one of you, church, will be left out from being filled with the Holy Spirit this morning. He is here and he is waiting to fill you. They were all filled. They all received fire. The fullness was not just for one. It wasn't just for Peter, who'd got the next job to do, preach the next sermon. It was for all. It was the fulfillment of Joel 2, verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterwards, in the last days, that I shall pour out my spirit on all flesh, all flesh, Whatever color, whatever age, whatever background, whatever gender, whoever you are, all people, your sons, all flesh, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. There's no age limit. 
Your old man, see again, shall see dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. There's no limit on status. You don't have to be intellectual to receive the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter what job you've got. You don't have to have a fancy high salary in order to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He wants to fill you all. He wants to fill everyone from the least of us to the greatest of us. And this is not a once-off. This is not just for today. This isn't just when you got baptized in the Holy Spirit. But this is for all time. It's out of relationship with him that we get filled And it's not just for a nation, it's for us. He's broken down the walls that would have divided us in the past, Jews and Gentiles. All of those walls, men and women, slave and free. And he's made us one in Christ Jesus. And when the Holy Spirit was poured out on these 120 and they were told by onlookers that were in, that were celebrating the feast. So they were religious people. They were doing what the old covenant required. But they couldn't understand the new thing that was being poured out. Have you been in places like that? You've, you've known your walk with Jesus. You've known your limits, so to speak. And you don't step over those limits, you know. And I spoke last night about, I, I want the Holy Spirit, but I don't want the scary bits. And the Holy Spirit is, is holy, but he's also a spirit. So I said earlier, he is a fire. Well, you can't do much about containing a fire. You, a fire will do what a fire does. A wind will do what wind does. Oil, if oil's poured out, it's jolly hard to pull it back. It's, that's the, the power, the Holy Spirit is a power. He's, he's dynamite, he's authority. He represents the Godhead himself. He's, he's part of the Trinity. He isn't just a small bit of breath that you get. He's God himself breathing on you, breathing in you, filling, filling you. He's the precious Holy Spirit. And 120 of them filled with the Holy Spirit, onlookers who knew the old ways, said, I don't get this. I just, there's something going on here. I think they're drunk. I think they've just had too much to drink. Now, it's funny that at nine o'clock in the morning, Peter uses that as an excuse for not being drunk. I'm thinking, did nobody get drunk in Jerusalem at nine o'clock in the morning? You know, he didn't say, no, we haven't been drinking. He said, it's nine o'clock in the morning. And I'm thinking, what was he thinking? This doesn't seem to be the answer that that anyone would have given. But he said, we are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. But this is that which was prophesied by the prophet Joel. And we read that just a moment ago, that in the last days, I will pour out my spirit And as they heard Peter stand up, I mean, I I love this. I I was thinking about this again. 
this week, it says Peter stood up with the 11. Makes me think, gosh, did they play for the IPL or something? You know, was it a cricket team? And I thought, is this the Jerusalem Jets? And Peter's the captain. And he stands up and he he preaches his best sermon. In fact, it is his first. So it is his best sermon. And he speaks to all the crowd. And there's like thousands of people in this crowd. And in his mind, he's recalling the stories, the te- not only the old covenant stories, but the stories about Jesus. The Jesus he was with for three years. The Jesus who said, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to send my spirit to be with you so that you won't be like orphans. And I'm going to give you power so that you testify of me. It's not just power. We know the spirit. The Holy Spirit is given for so many, many diverse reasons and and for our fullness. But for this one reason, he was standing up because he said, I'm a witness to the things that God has done. Friends, we need to reignite that fullness of being a witness. Some days it's hard. Some days it's easy. But he's the Holy Spirit who gives us the power to be a witness, to talk about what we've seen The visible, the word, and the invisible. Give us eyes to see, Lord, that we can be witnesses for you. So here they are, some of these thousands who a moment ago were critical, saying, hi, you're drunk, look at them falling over, and they can't put two words together. What is that language they're speaking anyway? And did they know they've got fire on their heads? Peter preaches, and at the end of his sermon, this is what they say, Acts 2.37 Brothers, what shall we do? Oh, the precious Holy Spirit who had anointed Peter to bring the word, the marriage of the word and the spirit. They're calling out saying, what shall we do when the spirit and the word are together, are at one, are filling our lives? There will be a response of those around us, friends. There will be a question, what shall we do? Peter said to them, verse 37 and 38, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They will. It's not just for the apostles. It's not just for the gifted and the ones who are going to serve. It's not just for the special ones or, or the unspecial ones. It's for everyone, friends. This fullness, this empowering, this presence that accompanies us is for everyone. Because the promise is for you and your children and for all who are afar off. Everyone the Lord God calls to himself. So let me prepare you for being filled. Why is it so important to be constantly filled? Why is it so important to have the fullness? Well, I'm just going to run through these, so write them down or listen again. Number one, Jesus was. That's a good enough reason to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to stay full. At his baptism, he went into the wilderness and was tempted, and it says he came out full of the Spirit. Hallelujah. If it was good enough for Jesus, guess what? It's good enough for me. We need to be full of the Holy Spirit for anointing. Acts 10.38, Jesus of Nazareth 
was anointed by the Holy Spirit and went around. Doesn't even say he was preaching the gospel here. It says he was doing good. You need to be full of the Holy Spirit, friends, to do good. It, we, we are not just innate good people. Did I say that right? You, you know, where is the goodness in us? Some of us are better than others at things like this, but we, we need the Holy Spirit. Come on. We need the Holy Spirit to do good, to do acts of kindness. To, we can't produce the fruit of the Spirit in our own lives. It will be striving. It will be like stone, um, writ, uh, tablets of stone and laws written on them that we're trying to live by a law. Jesus was anointed to do good and to heal the sick of every disease. Number three, the apostles were filled. We know, we just said and described they looked drunk, but they were also empowered for service. The deacons were filled in Acts chapter 6. Um, the apostles said there's so many things to do and we need to feed the poor, but we need to give ourselves to the word and prayer. So choose out people who are full of the Holy Spirit, who are also full of faith and full of wisdom. So whatever you do, the deacon, another word for deacon is just someone who serves. We know in a church setting, we, we think it's a position or a title. Listen, all of us have got positions to serve. So there you go, you've got one. We, we can all be deacons, we can all serve. But in this context, it was people who were serving the poor. They were needed to be full. That was their qualification. That was the criteria. That's what it said on the person spec. Are you full of the Holy Spirit? Are you full of wisdom? Are you full of faith? Yes, I can. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to be filled with wisdom and filled with faith. And when we serve here in church, it's not just a menial task. It's not administrative. It's not practical. It may be all of those things. But if you do it without realizing you need to be full of the Holy Spirit, you'll never take the opportunities that come your way. Ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit, to fill you with wisdom, to fill you with faith, so that whenever you're on the door meeting a new person or meeting a person that you just need to give that word of wisdom to, whether you're on the bookshop, the coffee shop, the car park, wherever you are, be filled with the Holy Spirit, be filled with faith, be filled with wisdom. Stephen in Acts 8, I've only got one or two more, when he was on trial persecuted and then martyred for his faith. It says he looked up and saw the glory of God, but it says he was full of the Spirit. Whatever difficulty, whatever pain and suffering that you feel you're under for the sake of Jesus Christ, even thinking of our friends in other nations, there's a fullness of the Spirit that is available for them. And finally, if we're not full of the Spirit, we will be full of something. What would you rather be full of? What would you rather be full of? I know this has been a week for GCSEs, I'm sure A-levels um, as well, I suppose. And uh, I never took physics and chemistry. I did things like music instead, and um, French and those sort of things. So... I, I don't know too much about physics, but one thing I do know is, in light of an A-level physics teacher here, I do know that nothing can be void or a vacuum. 
Something has to fill something. Now, the physics teacher here could actually tell it in much better language. But friends, what I'm saying is, if we're not full of the Holy Spirit, what are we full of? What are we full of? Oh, I want to be full of the Holy Spirit. I want to be filled. I want to be refilled. I want to be full and filled again. Let me leave you with this this verse. John chapter 20, verse 21 and 22. Some of Jesus' last words to his disciples after the resurrection and before he left them, before his ascension. He said to them, and I want to release this over you, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. I looked up that word, receive. And in the Greek, it's a word that's that's expressed lambano. Do you remember when Dan Slade was here? And he talked about, I don't think I've taken hold of everything yet, but I press on to take hold of that for which you've taken hold of me. You see, if I said to you, um, I'd like you to receive this book, Anna, then she can choose, it's almost like a passive thing. Well, do I want to receive it? Don't I want to receive it? That's very kind of you. Thank you. Um, so receive, it seems passive. But lambano, this, this word here, there is nothing passive about it. It means get hold of it. Take hold of it. Lay hold of it. Get it. Choose to take it. And make it your own. So Jesus breathed upon them. And he said, get hold of the Holy Spirit. Take hold of the Holy Spirit. Lay hold of the Holy Spirit. Don't let him go. Get him. Choose to take him into your life. And make him your own. There may be some of you here this morning... And you're thinking to yourself, well, lovely message, Sharon, but I've been filled once, so that's all right. I just enjoyed listening. And there'll be, there'll be some of you that, that are thinking, well, I don't know if there's enough for me. Just like when Jesus' mother was at the wedding, at the marriage in Cana, and everybody noticed that the wine had run out. Now, the Holy Spirit is similar to wine in the scriptures in the Old Testament. He's talked, he's compared to wine. And Jesus said, oh, my time hasn't come. And some of you are thinking, my time hasn't come. I prayed so often to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But it's obviously not my time. And I remember thinking that when I was in my teens and received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I thought, I don't know if this is my time. I don't know if the Lord wants to fill me with his Holy Spirit. It might be for everybody else. And uh, Mary's mother, uh, Mary, Jesus' mother, I think she was filled with the Holy Spirit. She said to the disciples, just do what he tells you. 
and he produced a miracle. And there was more wine than you could drink with every hot dinner you've ever had in your life. There was just an abundance. There was an extravagance. There was an overflow. There was exceeding abundantly, more than they could ask or think. Where's this come from? How much wine did we need? There is more than enough. And I want to tell you this morning that the Holy Spirit is here. He is more than enough for every single one of you. He will fill you up to overflowing. So that in you, in your life, in your heart, in your family, in your situation, in your decisions, in your walk with him, there will be such a union inside you, a coming together of the word and Jesus who fulfilled every legal obligation for you and the spirit who is breathing out upon you now. Thanks for listening. Stay connected, be resourced and equipped by subscribing to our YouTube channel, our podcast channel, and following us on social media at Revival Fires on Instagram and Facebook. If you've been impacted by this ministry, why don't you consider investing and sowing a gift? Visit our website for details on how to give.